Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? Hanging in there. How about you? Hanging in there. I just attended my um, work virtual holiday party. I mean, what was that that's like? Not- how, how are these virtual holiday parties? I can't really. Did you have some entertainment, or was there some kind of coordination, or was it just everyone staring at each other? What was what you know? What is what what goes on in a virtual holiday party? You know, they actually did a great job. There was uh, breakout rooms where they had trivia contests and things. So each person in each unit would be in charge of a different breakout room and you would play games and get prizes. And, you know, it was kind of fun. I I was cracking up though, because while I was on, like, I didn't do my hair today or anything. And my, (laughs) my boss is like, nice hairdo Julie like to the whole chat I was like oh my god I'm so embarrassed but anyway I put on my Hanukkah sweater and uh you know those are Hanukkah sweater from the ugly Hanukkah sweaters that we wore a couple years ago to the to that um where do we go remember we went down to DC and we did the ugly sweater and we both I still have mine was it that sweater okay well I I actually have two Lisa um it was not the sweater dress um, but rather it was a light up Hanukkah sweater mm-hmm. that I got at party city last year. And I, I got remember. it. I was so, okay. Do you remember the story? I, I yeah. there was a, there was a ugly sweater contest at my office last year for the 2019 holiday party. And I was so determined to win that thing. So I walked in with my light up Hanukkah holiday sweater and I received so many compliments including from the deputy assistant attorney general of the department of justice, who was like, that is an awesome sweater. And I was so determined to win. I did not win. Um, somebody else won who had a better light up Christmas sweater. I will not be bitter. (laughs) I was determined to win this year. And obviously that's not happening, but I'm going to win next year. But I am still super proud of the fact that at that holiday party last year, I also won second place for the bake-off. So I won two second place prizes. So I PR'd at the holiday party with my fudge. You know what second place is, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first loser. <laughs> the first loser. <laughs> yeah. So happy holidays to me. 2020, I thought was going to be my year at the holiday party and alas, it was virtual and it was not next year. They didn't have the contest virtually. No. You could have won the, <laughs> the best hair, the best hair do contest today, maybe. Exactly. So speaking of holidays, do you want to share with everyone what we bought each other for um, Hanukkah this year? <laughs> I'm going to give all you all the credit for this because you sent me this picture and I was like, I need to match you. Um, what are they? What are they called? They're jorts? Jorts, right? Yeah. Shorts. They're jeans and shorts, but they are actually technical running shorts that you can actually race in them and com- comfortably, we think, because we haven't tried them yet. Um, and and they're like, they look like jean shorts. And I was telling you the funny story that when I was at Alex's last cyclocross race, we were watching one of the um, pro race, one of the like the higher category races, one of the, the pro races, and all these guys, their serious kits on and, you know, the Lycra and they all look really serious. And there's this one guy in the pack who has jean shorts on and a tie-dye shirt. And we were all laughing at him. We we're like, this guy a joke? Like, why is he? Lo and behold, he came in second place in this really stacked field. And we were all like, 
we underestimated jean shorts guy. Like he just goes to show you, it doesn't matter what you wear. It's, you know, it's the engine, not the, not the, not the paint job. So it For was, sure. so, but so now, now we are going to be able to, when races come back, we're going to be able to show up in our, in our jorts. For sure. And we'll, well, of course, uh, they're not made by Lululemon. Everyone knows we're Lululemon ambassadors and we love Lululemon. So shout out. If Lululemon, Lululemon had them, I would buy them from Lululemon. <laughs> Don't think so. Y'all need to make them short. <laughs> so anyway. Leave it to Julie to find here? like, Julie, you always find like the best, like funny <laughs> stuff. Like you find, you always find the like kitschy, you know, a uh, conversation starter stuff. So I give you all the credit, but happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Last Thank night you. of Hanukkah. Happy, happy last night of Hanukkah to you. And um, I look forward to the day that we can wear our jorts together at a race and make a bold statement. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is going on with you this week? Oh, you know, just, just, just getting through, just trying to get through the week. We had a big snow, big snowstorm. I kind of say that lately, but for, for our area, it was an early and pretty more significant than I thought it was going to be snow. Um, so that actually threw off the schedule for some of our runners that, you know, we had to juggle things around and have some flexibility. Um, today, when we all woke up, the roads were still, uh, I know in our area, the roads were still covered. It wasn't safe to go outside. So um, uh, by now the roads are starting to clear off. So um, some people may have been able to get out later in the day, but I think it's gonna refreeze for tomorrow morning. So here we go back into winter weather um, running. And, and um, speaking of which, we kicked off this week our winter stride, strength and stride program, which we're really excited to continue another virtual program after having a successful virtual program in the fall. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things we talked about on our call with those runners is that flexibility in winter and, and, and weather being a factor that we have to contend with and, and safety. And, and you and I are both pretty, pretty hardy runners and we'll go out and run in pretty much anything, but we draw the line when uh, there's ice on the roads because that is just not, not safe and it's not worth, uh, you know, getting in one workout is not worth slipping and falling and, and we've seen it happen. So, um, so just, that's what's going on this week. <laughs> yeah. So we um, are going to keep this conversation a little bit shorter because we will be back next week with just a full on um, what's up with us and what's up with you conversation that we'll have before um, we take a little break over winter break. But today we wanted to um, talk a little bit about our guests. So uh, Lisa and I happen to coach, we happen to coach a lot of runners that fit male and female runners that fit in the master's category. And we are in the master's category as well. Of course, we're very proud to be master's runners. Uh, but sometimes our nutritional needs shift, uh, whether you're in your early to mid to late forties, you start noticing that certain things that worked maybe in your thirties aren't working as well anymore. And so we are starting to research a little bit more than we used to about what we can do as coaches to better support our master's runners. We say starting to, because I think we thought we were supporting our master's runners really well. And then we realized that more and more signs and data has come out about the impact of um, aging and nutritional needs, and particularly with respect to women, menopause, and how our nutritional needs change. So we researched a dietitian who we thought would be able to address some of our questions specifically and reached out to the dietitian that so many other dietitians rely on and that is Nancy Clark. Nancy Clark is just 
someone who's written, literally written the book on sports a diet, diet and sports dietetics. And she sold over 750,000 copies of her book. And she is such the guru that other sports dietitians use her materials to obtain uh, further, furthering their continuing dietetic education to ensure that they are up to date on their sports nutrition. I just got tied, tongue tied in that. But the point we're trying to make is Nancy is the leading guru on sports nutrition. And we were honored to speak to her today and ask her a lot of questions. Uh, we focused this episode on masters runners. We'd love to have her back to talk about runners in general, but this episode focuses on master's runners. So if you are a master's runner, soon to be a master's runner, or know a master's runner, this episode is definitely for you. Yeah, and I think a lot of what she says, though, too, applies to any, any not only runners, but, but anybody. Um, so um, I know as master's athletes, we have some unique considerations and we have to uh, pay attention a little bit more to certain factors in our in our diet and nutrition, and it starts to impact us more. Where we we get away with some stuff earlier in life that we can't get away with now. Um, but but I really think so much of what she said resonates with with any with any age. So um, such a delight to talk to her, Lisa. Before we go, what was your what was your favorite thing that Nancy said? I, I think it you was know what it is. You know, right, she, can, she started off when we asked her about like what she, what kind of food she eats, like to fuel her runs. And one of the things she mentioned was a Milky Way. So I was very happy to hear that she eats candy. Um, um, so that, that was just funny and, and, uh, and, and relatable. Um, but I, I really love her emphasis on, um, and on, not looking at our bodies as determinant of our abilities and not looking at the shape of our bodies as you know what may determine if we're a good runner or not a good runner or if, you know, so so many um runners that we have and runners that we know will say like well if i could look like xyz then i'd be a faster runner or we'll look at a runner and say they don't look like a runner or they do look like a runner and um and we've seen firsthand experience with our runners you don't there is no such thing as a runner's body. Um, anybody can be a runner's body. And I really like that she talked about um, so much of, of what our bodies look like are based on genetics and that we should embrace that and, and then learn to work with it and, and, um, and really um, nourish our bodies. So I really like that. Absolutely. Well said. So without further ado, we're going to bring Nancy on to the podcast. So we will be back next week to talk further and chit chat. But in the meantime, we hope that everyone has a great week. And for those who are celebrating, happy last night of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, Lisa. Happy Hanukkah, Julie. I'm going to go put on some jorts. <laughs> Prance around the house with my jorts. All righty. See you next week. Bye, Julie. Bye. Hey, listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at julieandlisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. 
Nancy Clark, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We are so excited um, that you were able to join us today. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Julie. Thank you for inviting me. So before we get into the nitty gritty of what we're going to talk about today, we would love to know a little bit about you, Nancy. Who is Nancy Clark? Who is Nancy Clark? Well, in my family, my kids made it very clear that she's not famous in our house. Um, So I'm an ordinary mom and have two kids that are now grown and off the payroll and and, um, doing well. Um, I live in the in the Boston area, I live in Newton. So I often uh, very well familiar with the Boston Marathon route and Com Ave and da, 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 da. I enjoy gardening. I'm a bike commute when I'm not doing my virtual office um, and just enjoy living an active lifestyle. I was pre title nine. So I was never an athlete when I was in school. Um, but I certainly loved doing um, athletic things. So I've, um, I'm um, a member of the Greater Boston Track Club. I can't say I'm very active with them right now, but in my heyday, I um, did my share of runs and track workouts and marathons and stuff. So now I'm into gardening. <laughs> and uh, that, that, uh, takes up a lot of time. So Nancy, you uh, mentioned that you run just because you are a registered dietitian and you are the guru of of registered dietitians. Tell us what is your favorite pre-run and post-run meal or snack? Well, my pre-run favorite pre-run meal is what I always have, cereal, milk, banana, nuts. And so it's my standard try and true breakfast. Um, Post-run, if I've done a long run, I love French toast. And so that's <clears throat> would be my favorite. And uh, during my runs, if it's a long run, I, I have a stash of little Milky Ways that are really quite delicious. Stop it. Oh, you are a woman after our own heart. We, <laughs> we often talk on this podcast about our love for sweets. I love that so much. Okay, so we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, Nancy, can you tell us a little bit about why you went into sports nutrition as someone who wasn't part of Title IX or, or was pre-Title IX rather. And um, what exactly does a registered dietitian do? Why is it important to seek someone who is an RD and what does that mean? And uh, also compared to people who call themselves health coaches or nutritionists, why is it important to look for the initials RD? Yeah, RD and even RDCSSD, which is a certified specialist in sports dietetics. So it's a, a, a registered dietitian who's gone on for um, taking in this board certified. Um, <clears throat> so has more experience and more in-depth knowledge. If you you know are going to a doctor, do you want to go to, or if you're having surgery, you want, do you want to see a board certified surgeon or do you just want to see somebody who calls themselves a doctor? <laughs> you know, doctor of what? Um, so for the best professional advice, um, it's important to understand that a dietitian has at least four years of undergraduate, a year of internship, a year of master's or some combination of that and has passed an exam so that they um, 
have in-depth knowledge that someone who's a self-taught nutritionist might not have. So you, Julie, could say, oh, I know a lot about nutrition because I eat and I read all the food labels and I listen to all the latest nutrition podcasts and and I uh, follow Twitter. (laughs) So um, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist, but only a registered dietitian is really the person that's professionally recognized. So that's where you you want to, um, you know, when you're searching around for somebody um, to look for those letters RD and maybe even RDCSSD. Those licenses are regulated by the states, is that correct? Well, it's, it's on a national level, actually, but okay. there, there, are, there is state licensure too. So in some states, only a registered dietitian can legally provide um, medical nutrition therapy. Um, whereas in other states, a nutritionist might be able to do that. Uh, so it really varies by state by state. But the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is a national, is a, is the nation's largest group of nutrition professionals. Great. And can typically can registered dietitians then provide advice to people anywhere? Well, we're supposed to stay within our state. Um, so there is a referral network. So if anyone who's listening is from Idaho, they can go up to um, <clears throat> eatright.org. E-A-T-R-I-G-H-T.org, which is the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and they have a referral network. So they put in their zip code and they can search for a sports nutritionist in Idaho and find someone in their in their local area um, or whatever state there might be. But um, there there is a whole network of sports nutritionists around the country. Um, and there's a practice group of more than you know 6,000 registered dietitians who specialize in sports nutrition. So they, they, they're around and you want to um, meet up with one if you have any you know, food issues. And specifically to you, Nancy, many of those sports dietitians rely on your book, which uh, we recently read has o- over 750,000 copies sold. So what made you decide to become a sports dietitian and then write this book and then create a platform for other dietitians to use your materials and rely on those materials. Yeah. Oh, I've always been active in um, high school. Actually, I went away to a boarding, boarding school that was out in the mountainous areas. I grew up in the ocean. So I, I was, um, you know, it was my introduction to hiking and, and skiing. And um, I was really interested in in nutrition and in cooking at this boarding school, we all had jobs. And we, and what, one of my jobs was to cook like quantity cooking. And I really loved it. So when I went to college at Simmons University, I, I wanted to major in nutrition, but I didn't want to be a cook, uh, but I was doing lots of outdoor stuff. And so sort of interested in nutrition and exercise, but I went on to become a registered dietitian. I did some clinical work. And then I had a job where I was doing nutrition education and working with coaches. And they were asking me all these questions like, I really need to know more about nutrition and exercise. And so from a personal interest and a professional interest, I went back to graduate school where I combined nutrition and exercise physiology and um, was able to... Uh, join a sports medicine practice where 
they sort of said, okay, join our, our team. And that was at a time when people looked at me and said, sports nutritionists, like, what do you do? Like cook pasta, you know, the night before a race or like they had no idea or people would joke about it. Oh, oh, I'm really into sports nutrition. I'm into vitamin C3 chocolate chip cookies. And the other person pipes up, oh, I'm in vitamin M2 M&Ms. And, and so this was in 1980 or so when, when it was just sort of like a joke. And people didn't recognize how powerful nutrition is in impacting performance. Um, so I you know, laid the groundwork, but there was a lot of education that needed to be done. And, and that's sort of where my book came into, into play. And I guess that one of the things that I'm proudest about about my sports nutrition guidebook is that it's really sold all its copies by a grassroots effort. It, it's not as though there's been this agent that has you know, manipulated things to get it on the bestseller list or anything, but it's just, you know, people like it. They recommend it to their friends. I get emails, oh, my, my high school son actually spent the weekend reading your book, Nancy. And, and so it just is very satisfying that it has gotten a lot of support. And um, for those in the audience that are looking for a great read, it's called Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. And got great, great recipes too. And it can be ordered easily on Amazon. It would make a great holiday gift. How's that? that would. Amazon. <laughs> or, yep. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. <laughs> So um, you mentioned that you rep, that you um, serve people with nutritional needs of all ages, but currently, what types of clients do you serve? Ages and types of athletes. I covered the spectrum. There are more fitness exercisers than there are elite athletes. So percentage-wise, I see more, you know, um, fitness exercisers. I see a lot of high school kids, college you know, high school athletes, college athletes, um, people who are now in the workforce and not as fit as they used to be and gaining weight with stress and working too much. Um, and it just goes up to the spectrum to people that, oh no, I'm now I'm, you know, hitting menopause and have gained weight. And then I'm seeing a 70 year old tomorrow who, you know, is training for a marathon. <laughs> so it, it's just, it's, I'm, I see anybody who's really interested in improving their health and performance with food. Okay. So while we want to ask you about the full gamut of athletes that you serve, we wanted to focus our conversation with you today, specifically on master's athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, it's because we we are master's athletes ourselves, but truly we also coach a lot of master's athletes. Mm -hmm. And we have noticed that um, while nutritionally we have recommendations for all athletes, we have noticed that um, depending on the decade that a master's athlete is in, sometimes their nutritional needs may change. So we wanted to have a conversation with you today with that focus. Um, but we would love to have you on another time to talk to you about other athletes as a whole. But for today, that's going to be our focus. So we wanted to ask you, um, first of all, what is the biggest mistake or mistakes that you see masters athletes make in their running and fueling? Well, masters athletes kind of make mistakes that any runners do. 
Oh, <laughs> if I'm lighter, I will be faster. And, you know, as when people age, they gain weight. Like even Bill Rogers has gained weight with age. He certainly has not gotten obese, <laughs> but um, I would say there's a little bit more of him than there was when he was, you know, marathons every weekend. Um, so weight is a big issue um, for all runners and particularly for masters runners. I think they're more concerned about their health, heart disease, you know, high blood pressure. Not many of them have diabetes because <clears throat> they're, they're active, but longevity, inflammation, arthritis. So I've got these aches and pains. What should I be eating? So it's, um, I'm, you know, somebody else is, is for the first time is having really a lot of intestinal problems. So it, it's the same issues as I see in the younger athletes as well. So there's nothing markedly different. Um, but what we want to pay attention to is as people get older, their protein needs go up and sometimes they eat less protein. So I need to correct that. Nancy, you mentioned that um, that that a lot of the older athletes coming to you are, you know, starting to gain that we gain weight as we get older. Why? Why is that? Is it just our metabolism is slowing, or what is what's the reason behind that? That's a good question. Um, I think as you know, one way to look at it is when kittens are young, they're very playful. Then they turn into cats. That's all day. <laughs> and puppies when they're young are very playful. And then they turn into dogs that sleep all day. And when humans are toddlers, they're always moving. And then they turn into grownups that do a lot more sitting than they used to. So I, I think there's a natural decline in activity with aging that probably impacts. It could be that there's a accumulation of environmental issues. I mean, who knows what's in the food that we're eating, the the endocrine disruptors, the BPA, you know, Scotch Guard, Gore-Tex. I mean, there's a lot that we don't know. Um, but, you know, I was just looking at um, the CDC came out with information about childhood obesity and how over the years they had a chart of how it's just going up and up. And why is there so much of a problem with children? And is it, I say, is it a food issue? It's more than just diet and exercise, I think. Um, but I think there's other stuff. I, I, re I really look at, you know, endocrine disruptor sort of stuff that's in plastics, but I don't know, there's not a lot of research on it. So um, there's certainly a lot of really tasty food around. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's just this ultra processed food is incredibly delicious and there's science to make it really delicious. Um, so that's very easy to overconsume, And also it's easy to spend less energy digesting it. If you have a grilled cheese sandwich made with white bread with processed American cheese, it takes a lot fewer calories to digest than if you have whole wheat bread with like a all natural cheddar cheese kind of a thing. I think it was like 10%, 20% fewer calories. I, 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 I can't remember exactly how many, but it was like, that's a significant difference in just calories to digest ultra processed foods is less. So 
I don't know why people are gaining weight. It's multifactorial, whatever it is. It could be they're more affluent, just spending more money eating out, at least pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then COVID's not helping. I mean, we're going off track a little bit. Just to mention, you said um, childhood obesity, you know, all of the things that children and adults typically do to walk to school or commute to work and the movement during the day. So many of us aren't moving as much during the day. So that definitely during this time can add up to um, certainly some um, factors with respect to obesity. If an athlete um, comes to you, Nancy, masters or not, and comes to you with a desire to lose weight, how do you recommend that they approach their weight loss without compromising their training? That's a real individual conversation. Um, So we really have to look at, has the person been underweight most of their life? Like many runners have spent their life being underweight. And then as they age, the weight sort of normalizes. So maybe they're just at a normal weight. Um, Other people, maybe they're very stressed and going through a divorce and they don't like their job and they're doing a lot of stress eating and that they've gained weight that way. Um, Some people, you get into menopause and you're dealing with hot flashes and exhausted. And we know that when people are sleep deprived, they tend to crave sweets and junk food, so to speak. And um, so there are many reasons why people gain weight. Um, it's multifactorial. And so maybe we do know that weight fluctuating, that, that diets don't work. And, and so most people, when they lose weight, they just regain it um, and regain it plus more. So maybe the conversation is, you know, what about your changing body really bothers you? You know, what does it mean to you to have a changing body? Does it make you feel old? Does it make you feel less attractive? Does it make you feel imperfect? I mean, it, it, what's the meaning of it? And, and maybe just teaching people to tolerate weight gain with age is really a better way to go. Some of my clients, I might discourage them from even trying to lose weight. Others, we wanna make sure that they're fueling during the active part of their day. I look a lot at circadian rhythms and we wanna eat according to the circadian clock, which means eat during the daylight hours and not diet at breakfast and diet at lunch and then blow it at night only to get up the next day. Oh, ate too much last night. Diet. So are, you, diet so are you saying that intermittent fasting would not be an ideal uh, lifestyle for individuals trying to maintain their weight? It, it really is not a diet designed for runners. Um, I mean, it, it keeps your body in, in breakdown mode. And so you want to be eating some protein like every four hours. And if you have breakfast at seven and lunch at 11 and have what I call a second lunch or afternoon snack at three and dinner at seven, you're eating evenly throughout the day and you have doses of protein to keep your body 
to keep your muscles um, from getting broken down. But if you're doing intermittent fasting and you just have dinner at six or seven and you don't eat any more protein until you know noontime the next day, that's a lot of time that you're in muscle breakdown mode. And plus, if you run in the morning, that means you're not fueling up and refueling. You're just running on empty, which people say, oh, but that means I'm burning fat. But burning fat differs from losing body fat. I mean, you can burn fat while we're sitting here right now doing this podcast, we're burning fat. Does that mean that we're losing body fat? You know, that determines if there's been an energy deficit at the end of the day. So I, I want my clients to focus more on fueling and then at the end of the day, just fueling a little bit less, just chip away a little bit. I really like that. I like two things you said specifically. First is there is such confusion with fat burning versus losing weight. I, I don't know if it came from the treadmills in the 90s that used to you know, have this programming thing where it would say fat burning mode, which was running a little slower where people thought if they ran within a certain pace, they would be actively burning fat off of their bodies. But um, I appreciate that you clarified that. Fat burning does not mean you're losing weight. It yeah. just is a mechanism that your body is, is doing at that moment. And the second thing that... Um, I appreciate is the fact that you, Lisa and I often talk about the importance of sleep. Sleep is the number one recovery modality. And based on what you're saying, sleep is also up there with the number one weight loss modality. If you, if you think a client is in a position to lose weight and, and we've moved to that, I, I think from what you're saying, it's that sleep is what you need to be able to lose weight. Precisely. It's called the sleep more, eat less diet. And uh, with a study where they had people that were sleep deprived, they gave, had them do an, an extra hour and a half of sleep a night. They reported that their cravings for sweets dropped by two thirds and they ate 14% fewer calories. I mean, that's exactly a reducing diet. And, and so, you know, I'll sit down with my clients and, and say, okay, you know, do you get enough sleep? No. Well, are there one or two or three nights a week that maybe you could go to bed earlier? Like what's keeping you up? Oh, I like to stay up and watch the news or, oh, I'm working or, oh, I'm just wound up or whatever. But we, we try to brainstorm ways that maybe one or two or three nights a week, they could just get to bed earlier. And if there's a benefit, people make a change. So I always have my clients experiment with sleeping more and seeing if there's a benefit. It's like, oh, wow, I had a great night's sleep. Oh, I had a much better run. I had more energy. And I wasn't like craving cookies as much, you know? And, and, and so it's all cost benefit. Okay. So what about your clients? Like I'm one of these people. I go to bed as early as I can, but sometimes I wake up um, in the middle of the night and I have trouble getting back to sleep. And I know that that is very common among women um, my age, I'm in my um, late forties. And what do you say to those clients who are really in earnest trying, but sometimes they just wake up and, and have to you know, deal with maybe losing a little sleep within their REM sleep um, overall? Well, if they're waking up due to hot flashes, then 
then we really need to address hot flashes, night sweats. And um, if they're waking up because they got to pee, then maybe you drink less water or less fluids before you go to bed, you know, for a couple of hours before you go to bed. So we sort of have to look at why people are waking up. But yeah, it's a real nuisance when you wake up in the middle of the night you can't go back to bed and, and you just get stressed out that you can't sleep and that doesn't help out anymore um so it, it um again it's it's a conversation to figure out why do you think you're waking up you know what do you think could help you sleep better and maybe they need to switch the time of the day they're doing their exercise i don't know um maybe they need to eat an earlier dinner Maybe they um, need to front load their calories so that they aren't putting this big dose of energy at the end of the day that sort of ramps them up. Maybe they need to stop drinking coffee earlier in the day. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of possibilities. So you just sort of brainstorm, you know, what do you think could be the problem and try to find a solution. Nancy, are there any, are there any particular foods that would help somebody who's having trouble sleeping? I'm not convinced. Well, let me put that back. Um, the tart cherry juice people have done some research with sleep and melatonin. Yeah. And, and so there's something there. You know, other people say eat foods rich in tryptophan, you know, turkey or warm milk or something. You know, you, you, you want to believe in what you're doing. <laughs> so if you have a glass of warm milk before you go to bed and says it's going to help me sleep better, it probably will. Um, it also might make you wake up and have to pee. <laughs> I mean, e each person isn't, is unique and has individual, deserves an individual conversation. Yeah. I will tell you, I just started using a tart cherry juice like a couple weeks ago. And first of all, it's very tasty. And I, I like put a few tablespoons of it in a glass with some water and I drink it like a half hour before bed. And it seems counterintuitive because it's sugary from the fruit. But um, at least in my mind, I feel like it's working and I'm not waking up at night as much as I was a few weeks before trying it. It, it completely could be a placebo and it's really tasty, but I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I, 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 not to ruin the placebo effect, but I think the research is done with drinking eight ounces of it every day. I mean, it's a lot more than just a little bit, but hey, your body might be super sensitive to it and it works. So I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> I'll drink some more. It's fine. <laughs> oh, if it's working, go for it. Yeah. Um, so you okay. so you mentioned that um, uh, masters athletes need more protein. Um, do you have particular like macro? And I know we know this is very individual. But do you have a general macro? nutrient recommendations that you give to master's athletes? Like, you know, we used to look at our plate and divide it in certain segments and know a certain amount of our plate should be protein and, um, you know, complex carbohydrates and fats. But do you have, do you have any guidance, general guidance for master's athletes? Well, whenever they start talking about macros, I tell them we eat food, we don't eat macros. So I am not at all into macros. There is, when I'm building a sports diet, I will estimate the amount of protein that a person needs based on their body weight. And so that they know and divide that into four 
a dose every four hours, breakfast, lunch, second lunch, dinner. Um, and um, show them what that means. And, and so you have your protein as the foundation of this diet that you're building. Then you want a base of carbohydrates because um, protein's the accompaniment and carbohydrate grains, you know, fruits, veggies are the fuel. And they have two different jobs. So protein builds and repairs muscles, grains, vegetables, and fruits um, fuel the muscles. And so we're always looking at carb protein combinations. And so you've got a plate with protein is maybe a quarter to a third of the plate. And then the rest of it is, is carbohydrates with, and you want some healthy fat in there too, be it nuts or avocado or olive oil or peanut butter, salmon. Um, so I, I talk more about food than I do macros. And sometimes runners get really obsessed and the ones that are counting macros are tracking their food and tracking the calories that they're burned off. And it's sort of disconnecting them from their body. The body can do this intuitively. And so I, I, I try to reconnect them to their body signals. So what are some things that runners can do, especially masters athletes, to um, better connect their mind to their hunger cues? When I'm counseling my clients, and in my sports nutrition guidebook, I talk about a hunger spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum is a place called starved. On the other end is a place called stuffed. And in the middle is a place called content. So one is starved, 10 is stuffed, five is content. And I spend a lot of time looking at three. And three is cold, tired, droopy, moody, bored, or I feel like eating this cookie just because I'm bored, unable to focus, easily irritated. And that those are all symptoms of hunger. A lot of times people look for hunger to be in their stomach, like stomach growling. That's way too hungry. There are signals that come before that, tired, cold, droopy, moody, bored, unable to focus, easily irritated. And if people... Then I ask my clients, you know, does that sound familiar to you? They go, oh yeah, that's where I live. And that means that they're just living hungry a lot. And hunger is simply a request for fuel. Your body's saying, I burned off what you gave me. May I please have some more? And the answer is no, food is fattening and it's not time to eat yet. <laughs> so um, we have conversations about you know, if they're a parent, if your kid was hungry and whimpering and crying because they were hungry, would you feed them? And if you didn't, it would be called child abuse. Um, so to have people realize that they're just abusing their body if they're not eating when, they're, when they feel these hu hunger signals. And eating doesn't mean you're going to overeat and get fat. It just means you're giving your body the fuel that it requests and needs. In, in addition to those, you know, just mood feelings that we get that, you know, groggy, tired, bored, tired. What physical um, issues can people who don't fuel properly have, both with respect to their performance in sport and more generally? Well, if you're not feeling pro fueling properly, one, you have to like drag yourself out the door to get running. It's like, ugh, 
<laughs> you know, you don't feel like it. So if you fuel up beforehand and have, you know, banana and peanut butter or some little bowl of cereal or an English muffin or something, um, it gets your blood sugar on the upswing. And then you've got a little bit of energy in you. And if you're doing a long run and run out of fuel, you just don't enjoy it. And it takes the pleasure out of running. I mean, you can slog through it, but you can only compete at your best if you can train at your best. And you can only train at your best if you're fueled at your best. And, and I tell my clients, they're either fueling up or they are refueling. It's one or the other. So if you run in the morning, you have part of your breakfast before you run to fuel up, the rest of your breakfast afterwards to refuel. If you're running in the afternoon, what you eat at breakfast, lunch, fuels your afternoon run. If you're running after work, you need breakfast, lunch, a second lunch or a snack, you know, whatever you, if you use the word snack, it turns into chips or cookies. Whereas if you use the word second lunch, it's like some hummus and carrots or rice cakes and peanut butter or, you know, crackers and cheese or something, it's food. Um, so you need something before you do your after work run. And, and so um, once people see food as fuel and experience the benefits of it, then they're willing to make some changes so that they honor hunger. You see more injuries in, in runners who, or you know, anyone, any athletes who don't, who don't fuel properly? For certain. I mean, there's, there's good research showing that, I mean, there's a whole group of runners that chronically undereat. And they say, oh, I eat like a bird. And uh, I, I'll ask my clients, how do you eat compared to your friends? They say, oh, I eat like a bird compared to my friends. I could never eat as much as they do. Um, and there's a group of runners who undereat by 500 calories a day or so. And they're always cold, tired, hungry, droopy unable to focus, easily irritated. You know, I shake hands with my clients when it's not COVID. And when they have cold hands, the red flag goes up, oh, they're under eating. And um, they're the ones that are likely to have more stress fractures because when people go on a diet or under eat, the bones uh, lose bone mineral, mineral density. And so that impacts their bone health and they get stress fractures. You know, with, with younger women, they experience amenorrhea. They stop having their menstrual period and that's a sign of under eating. So there's a whole bunch of, you know, masters runners that are under eating and they've been doing it for years and they get tendonitis. They get stress fractures. They get osteoporosis or osteopenia. And it is of medical concern. So certainly we want to get past um, the lighter runner is the better runner. It's, you know, if, if you have a stress fracture, you're not a very good runner. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Or if you're tired, grumpy, <laughs> cranky, like yeah, any of that is not going to make you a great runner either. So. Yeah, yeah, like I don't want to run with you. Absolutely. <laughs> and and Nancy, I, I appreciate what you say about um, getting over the lighter runner. Lisa and I talk about this a lot, but it's worth repeating is that, you know, runners come in all shapes and sizes. And I um, heard you talk about this a little bit on another podcast, and I'd love for you just to share it with our listeners. And that is look at your family and how, what their bodies look like and, and understand that your genetics 
kind of reframes what you should look like. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Precisely. <clears throat> the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So when I counsel my clients, I'll ask them, you know, um, what does your mom look like? Average, thin, heavy? Oh, she's thin. Is she diet thin or just genetically thin? Oh, she's been dieting her whole life. Okay. You know, what's your dad look like? Average, thin, heavy? Oh, he's got a dad gut or whatever. You know, how do your brothers and sisters look? And, and then I say, if you were to create this family reunion and bring together all of your genetic relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, parents, grandparents, siblings, raise people from the dead, fly them in from Timbuktu, how do you currently look compared to others in your genetic family? Inevitably, these runners say, oh, oh, I'm leaner than they are. Or, or I'm far leaner than they are. And here they want to be leaner yet, and they're whining because they've gained weight. And like I say, it could be that your body is just normalizing after years of having been restricted and living in food jail. Um, so in the dog kingdom, you know, dogs come in different sizes and shapes. So there are greyhounds and there are St. Bernard's. There are poodles and Labradors, and there's chihuahuas and beagles. Now, is a St. Bernard fat? Mm, no, I think the St. Bernard is very lovable <laughs> and is just a St. Bernard. If you take that St. Bernard and diet him down, does he become a greyhound? No, he becomes a miserable St. Bernard. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yeah, so you, know, you can try to change your body to a certain extent, but sooner or later, you're gonna lose the war. And so the question is more accepting of your body, accepting of your genetics, being proud of your genetics. I mean, that St. Bernard is very proud of being a St. Bernard. And the Labrador is very proud of being a Labrador, has no interest in becoming a poodle. Um, so it's your parents and your grandparents that gave you your body. So you want to be appreciative of it and accept it. And you don't have to like it, but at least you can tolerate it and be kind to it, take care of it and not punish it by dieting and denying itself of valuable nutrients. Um, weight is more than a matter of willpower. And it gets back to what about your changing body bothers you? And, well, that is, yeah. And usually they feel imperfect. Don't, mm -hmm. don't look like a runner anymore. What does a runner look like? Is it a St. Bernard runner or a Whippet runner? You know? Those are great points. And, and we so appreciate you explaining that. I think our listeners will too. And that leads us into the last uh, segment of our conversation that we wanted to get to. And that is changing bodies with respect to master's women who are starting um, perimenopause and menopause. It's a really tough time for female athletes because suddenly um, some things change that cause them to have to make changes. So we first wanted to talk to you a little bit and ask you what if anything should a woman in perimen a female athlete in perimenopause and menopause be doing differently in terms of everyday nutrition, if anything? Mm -hmm. 
Well, what they should be doing is just staying on top of their eating. I mean, there are studies of women who have gone that they followed age 45 to 55. Some people went through menopause, some people didn't, both gain weight. So there is midlife weight gain regardless of menopause. Men gain weight with aging. And, and so it's not just a female thing, but if you look at the data on men, they gain weight with aging as well. And, um, so it's something that happens. Now, does it happen because you're less active, because you're more affluent, because you're going on cruises, because you're eating out more? Maybe you're sick and tired of dieting. And it's like, well, maybe I will have a cupcake with my grandson, or maybe I will go have an ice cream cone with the kids. Um, so if 80% if of girls have been dieting since fourth grade, by the time you reach menopause, it's like you're sick and tired of it. And, and so, the goal is to be at peace, accepting and tolerating. And you don't have to like it, but you can tolerate it and be grateful. I mean, just be grateful you're alive, grateful that you're able to run, grateful that you have two legs, grateful that you, you know, don't have COVID, grateful that you, you know, haven't had a heart attack. You know, so we, we need to be a lot more grateful for all the wonderful things our bodies do for us. And there's either more of you to love or there's less of you to love. And that is about it. Nothing else changes. But in my, in my sports nutrition guidebook, I have a strong chapter section on weight, weight management, body image, body fat, dieting gone awry. And many, many people have sent me emails saying how helpful that information is to them. So if one of the listeners is struggling and wants a written resource, certainly Nancy Clark Sports Nutrition Guidebook has helped many people, but professional one-on-one -on -one advice is also really the best. And just seeking out a registered dietitian who specializes in sports nutrition in your area can really be helpful. And yet too many people are, oh, I'm ashamed to reach out for help. I should be able to do something as simple as eat right. It's like, it's not simple these days. So don't hesitate to get some professional advice. Well, I think that's just like runners who, you know, reach out to coaches. They need accountability. They need a, uh, an unbiased eye to look and give them that advice. And I think you really hit on a lot of what we see with runners who come to us who think that they should look a certain way. Um, you know, they say, oh, well, I'm this size, but I know if I was this size, I'd be faster. And we always say, well, why, why would you be faster? Why, why does that, that doesn't necessarily, maybe the size you are right now is your strongest and your, you know, if you're going to try to get down to a smaller size, that's going to compromise your recovery and your performance and your energy and how you feel on, on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think that's really important. And, and we particularly see it with um, menopausal women because bodies are changing and mm -hmm. you don't really feel like kind of out of control. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, so are there any, um, you know, are there any ways that menopausal women can use their nutrition to, to help, um, you know, them feel better about those changes or to help them feel better about their performance? Is there any way they can use their, their diet or nutrition well, to, to get that? Well, certainly they want to prevent weight gain from happening in the first place. And that comes with eating breakfast, eating lunch, having an afternoon. I call it the second lunch because I want it to be enough to ruin your appetite so that nighttime you're not starving and overeating. When people get too hungry, they not only eat 
they overeat. And it doesn't tend to be on apples and carrots. Um, so I focus a lot on meal patterns, breakfast, lunch, second lunch. And I focus more on quality foods, eating closer to the earth, less ultra processed foods, staying away from packaging, because I don't really trust the packaging so much. Um, and having protein carb combinations, protein satiating, it stays with you. If there's some fat with the protein, healthy fat like peanut butter, nuts, cheese, olive oil, it just stays with you better and you're fed and it makes the food taste yummier too. Um, so I would recommend that women can minimize weight gain by looking at when they are eating, front loading, eating during the day, eating at least every four hours, preventing themselves from getting too hungry. If they want to lose weight, the only time to do that is at nighttime when they're sleeping. And the goal is to wake up ready for breakfast. If you wake up ready for breakfast and you go, aha, I lost weight last night when I was sleeping. But you don't try to lose weight when you're running um, and you don't try to lose weight during the day. Um, but you just chip away. As the saying goes, you can lose weight quickly or you can lose weight forever. And so just chip away a little bit as you're about to reach for more. Just look inward. Does my body need this fuel? It's like, no, I could eat it, but I don't need it. And then you wake up and like, yeah, you're ready to eat. You aren't starving when you wake up in the morning because that's getting too hungry, but you're, you're ready to eat breakfast, not wait for two or three hours. Um, and then you know you're, you're preventing that weight gain from happening. It's great advice and, and advice for any athlete, not just those yeah. In, yeah. in the master's category, but with respect to those who are um, looking at their nutrition to support the stage they're in for particularly um, menopausal athletes who are dealing with symptoms, like many of which you mentioned coincidentally are those who are on the three scale of the hunger scale you mentioned, yeah. fatigue, anxiety, hot flashes that we talked about a little bit before. Are there any particular foods that you think um, they could incorporate in their diet? We mentioned the cherry juice, but is there anything else you think that during that stage when those things are happening um, could help women in going through those things? Soy foods in Asia, Asian women don't complain about hot flashes. Is that because Asian women don't complain or is it because they don't have hot flashes, but they eat a lot more soy than we do. And in this country, soy is like, oh, it's bad for you, breast cancer, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, really, this, the science that I've seen shows that science, soy is actually positive and cancer preventive. Um, so I'm not concerned about any health harm from that. But it could be, I know of some women anecdotally who started having a glass of chocolate soy milk and that helped them calm down their hot flashes. Um, but it's, um, you know, there, if, if you're being done in by hot flashes, the, the, there's a solution that's called Effexor. <laughs> I mean, it's an antidepressant. And you just take a non-therapeutic dose of it and it just 
manages to minimize hot flashes. So there's something that you can talk to with your doctor um, or your OBGYN and see what they recommend from a medical perspective. Um, but I, I think with food, there's nothing magic that I know of. There are, you know, people rave about black cohosh or different supplements, but there's really not a lot of strong science to support it. But that said, each person is an individual. I mean, and your body is yours. So you can experiment and try different things. Um, and if it works, it does, whether it's a placebo or whether it's real, it doesn't matter as long as it's, you're getting to where you want to go. Um, but just to point how different we all are, I mean, we all have two legs and two eyes and two arms, but with caffeine, I mean, my husband drinks coffee before he goes to bed and he sleeps very well. I have, you know, a little teaspoon of coffee in the morning and like I'm wired for the day. You know, you know, alcohol, some people can drink quite a few beers, you know, other people, a half a beer does them in. So we're also metabolically unique. And there was an interesting study that just came out looking at the menstrual cycle and how it Im impacts performance. And they couldn't come up with a definitive answer. They said there's such variation, but in general, it doesn't impact performance. And I'm sure that there are women that would bitterly disagree and others would, that would say, yeah, it's never bothered me. So what you see on the outside is different from what we can't see on the inside. Um, so just be curious, experiment, figure out what works for you and your body and your mind and your lifestyle. I, I appreciate that you mentioned um, talking to your OBGYN because I think that um, when you work with a registered dietitian and you also work with your doctor, you're going to get both um, sort of aligned versus people who only recommend, for example, taking certain supplements. Mm -hmm. So to that end, um, a lot of OBGYNs um, recommend hormone replacement therapy. And in your experience in working with menopausal athletes, have you seen any issues with that? Um, and what are your thoughts about that, if any? Well, I think it works. Um, and I, I think the science now is that it's a lot safer than it used to be. So I'm, I, it's out of my area of expertise. I'm not really, you know, it's, it's not my scope of practice, but I, I would certainly talk to a trusted healthcare provider and see what they say. I mean, to go around exhausted and sleep deprived and having hot flashes, like, you know, all the time, it's certainly not quality of life. So we're really looking at quality of life here. And like, if you need glasses, you get glasses. If your brain doesn't work right and you need an antidepressant, you get an antidepressant. You know, if your hormones are all off and you need, you know, something to regulate them, you do that. Maybe you do that. Um, I mean, of course, you want to try doing things the all natural way, but a lot of medications are all natural too. You know, so it's it's there's not a right or a wrong here. There's an individual conversation based on your own. How do you want to take care of your body? And so there are conversations, but but. When women talk to other women and get support, it's very validating 
And, and so if you are struggling with menopause and concerns about weight, concerns about hormonal shifts, whatever, just talk to other women and, and, and be reassured that you aren't the only one. And there's a lot of power in numbers and it also makes you more resilient. And, and that's what we need. We need resiliency to get through this chapter of life. Amen. I think we all need resiliency to get through this year of life. <laughs> yes. And to that end, for our final question, um, Nancy, do you have any advice on how all athletes should approach this time of year and uh, 2020 in general with respect to their nutrition? I would say that um, one week of the year does not ruin your health forever. And so whatever holidays you are celebrating, it's okay to have Christmas cookies. It's okay to have special Hanukkah foods. It's not gonna ruin your life forever. And to know that food does wonderful things. It brings people together. There are wonderful conversations that happen around meals. It's, it's, there's traditions. There's um, all sorts of love that's associated with it. So instead of looking at holiday food as being fattening and you know, like trying to stay away from it, I would just enjoy it and embrace it. And you don't have to overeat anything. And just to um, know that nutrition isn't a meal or a day, it's a week, month, year, and that throughout the whole year, you want to be doing the best you can to eat evenly throughout the day, to have carb protein combinations, to eat closer to the earth, and to know that the E in eating is for enjoyment and the E in exercise is also for enjoyment as well. So by fueling properly, you'll enjoy your exercise and then you've created this healthy lifestyle. And we can still have our Milky Ways. <laughs> yes, we can. Yeah. We love that. That's great. Well, Nancy, we really have so appreciated talking to you. you your, your approach is so um, sound and, and holistic. It's not just looking at the foods and what we eat and what we weigh, but it's why we feel that way and really what is our goal and our purpose in, at the end of the day. So that, that really resonates with us and what we try to communicate to all of our runners because our runners are all individuals. And that's something else too that, you know, you talked a lot about is that we're all an experiment of one. Mm -hmm. And so we can't really look and give general over, you know, overarching yeah. rules or hard and fast rules. And, and that's something that we adhere to as well. So we really appreciate you talking to us and sharing your knowledge with us and encouraging women to reach out to each other and, and support each other. That's um, another important takeaway. So that we really appreciate that. Yeah, woman power. <laughs> yes. Right. So Nancy, um, how can our listeners find you and um, talk with you if they would like a consult with you? Okay. Well, the best way for them to find me, they just can Google Nancy Clark Sports Nutrition. And my website will come up, which is nancyclarkrd.com. N-A-N-C-Y-C-L-A-R-K-R-D.com. And there is a little place called Contact Nancy. So they click on that button. They can send me an email. And um, I would love to hear from them and just mention that they heard me on Run Farther and Faster. And uh, we can have a conversation from there. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. We so appreciate your time and happy holidays to you. Oh, and the best to everybody.
Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.